out, and as the kids would come up, I would slam candy in their bags, and I'd say, Merry Christmas. And uh, they'd look at me, and they'd say, it's not Christmas. And I'd say to them, it's not Christmas. Why are you saying it's Christmas? It's not, and we'd end up in this little banter back and forth, and so it was truly enjoyable. So um, it was great. And so anyways, well, I want to mention, uh, you know, next year, this has become, along with the Night of Bethlehem event that we're going to be doing, uh, this has become really a, 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 a huge event for us. And so I really just want to put my two cents out there that uh, encourage you to come and serve and, and help out. It's just a, it's a great event. It's a great place to be. Uh, in addition to that, next week, we'll be taking a break from the Book of James. Wayne mentioned the group Teen Challenge. We're actually going to be give, giving uh, Teen Challenge the entire service uh, next Sunday. So you're going to hear some incredible testimonies. The guys are going to do worship for you. And so uh, just kind of be ready for that. It's going to be a, a good time. And then I got a message from um, Jeff Gilpin. If you don't know who Jeff Gilpin is, he's a missionary that we support who plants Awana clubs uh, in uh, Northern California, Nevada. Uh, and he's been doing some work in Mexico. And he actually has partnered with another missionary we support, Travis. Uh, his ministry is serving orphans and widows, and they teamed up with the largest uh, church in Baja, Mexico last week. So Jeff and Travis, two people that, that we support, went down to Baja, Mexico, partnered with the largest church there, planted, uh, they started training last year, but tr- uh, planted an Awana group that now has close to 200 kids in it already. This particular church has planted 20 churches in Mexico. Out of the 20 churches that they've planted, those 20 churches, out of those 24 of them, have also planted churches. So they're, they're churches that are planting churches. And Jeff's big plan, along uh, with um, Jim Mathias, who went down last week as well, and Travis, are investing into that. And so you've got a potential of 24 different churches, 24 different Awana programs that they want to invest into. Uh, and so I just think that's worthy of praise uh, and something that's really neat. And so that is, when you, when you give to Sierra Bible Church, that's the kind of stuff the trunk retreats and, and uh, the night of Bethlehem and all that kind of stuff. That's the kind of stuff that we get to provide to other people completely free of charge, no cost to the community and all of that. So, amen? All right. Got to drink some water to get ready to scream and yell at you. James chapter 3, if you would this morning stand with me as we honor God's word and we read together. From this sacred passage. Not many of you should become teachers. It's a good way to start out for the guy standing up front. My brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, We guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire... By hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. 
With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. We ask, Lord, this morning that you change our minds and our hearts to be shaped into your image. Convince us, draw near to us, bless us, Lord. Do all the things that are needed for our well-being this morning. In Jesus' name, the church said, you may be seated. Quick reviews I've done each week in James. James is a book that is a challenging book. In fact, there are individuals who, on occasion, that don't go to church here but listen to the podcast who have messaged me over the last week stating as such that this has been a difficult book in many ways to read or to listen to. And the primary reason is that it's, there's not much evangelism in the book of James outright. It's really a book that has been designed to guide a believer in one's faith to be strengthened in their faith, to be mature in their faith. It's a, a book, as we would say, of sanctification, that you would grow, that you would not be immature. This is quite an important thing. Over the years as a minister in ministry, I've noticed many who have been older that you would think would be mature, but exhibit quite a bit of immaturity when it comes to one's faith. In fact, one pastor shared with me the other day as he was sharing with another pastor from another church that they had to walk through another pastor for an entire hour and a half, the entire gospel of Jesus Christ. The response of this other minister was, oh my goodness, I have never heard this before. Now, for us, we have to recognize that God desires us not to be just immature believers, but to be growing in depth. Chapters 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 2 through 12, teaches us that true believers have a healthy response to trials. Chapter 1, verses 13 through 18, true believers have a healthy response to temptation. Chapter 1, verses 19 through 27, true believers are brought forth by the Word of God, and true believers have a deep love for the Word of God. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, true believers don't show favoritism. Chapter 2, verses 18 through 26, true believers have faith that works. Now we come to chapter 3, true believers, watch what they say. This morning we'll be teaching on the reality that the tongue is like a fire. My first point this morning is to prove to you from the text, as well as probably from your just basic knowledge, that words have a bit of power. Words can do quite a bit. In fact, it tells us here that, that words can direct one's whole life. Now, one of the points that James makes in this particular passage is he says there is a great difficulty in taming the tongue. Has anyone perfected their speech? Has anyone ever said something they regretted? Has anyone ever allowed their attitude, whether it was a depressive attitude or an angry attitude, to allow that attitude to say something that maybe you didn't mean? Anybody at all? Because if not, we're in, we're, we've got a problem. Words have a bit of power. Proverbs, remember, James is pulling from Proverbs and he's pulling from the Sermon on the Mount. These are the two places in which James is pulling from to teach believers and how to become mature in all of life, but specifically here in chapter 3, their mouth. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life 
are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Matthew 12, 36. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. James is trying to help us grow up in this, but James also shows us some humility. Notice he says in chapter 3, verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. James is including himself in this. Even for myself as a teacher, I have to include myself in this. We all stumble in many ways. James probably remembered, if you remember, that there's a place in Mark chapter 3, verse 21 that says this, and when his family heard it, what Jesus was doing, they went out to seize him for his family, probably including James, because James is the half-brother of Jesus Christ, for they were saying of Jesus, he is out of his mind. So James probably has this backdrop in his mind as he's teaching this passage. We all stumble in many ways. In fact, I've, I've called my own brother, who's God, crazy. He's out of his mind. We also have to understand that the tongue has power to reveal what is in the heart. The tongue reveals to us what kind of person you actually are. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What you say reveals to people who you really are. One, one author says the tongue only produces what it is told to produce by the heart, where sin originates. The tongue has the power to, to reveal to people around you. who It also reveals to yourself who you are. Be careful of what comes out of your mouth. In addition to all of this, James says the tongue is a fire. Produced by the fire of hell, he says. The word hell here is the word Gehenna. Gehenna was the place outside of the city where the trash was burned, perpetually burned. And, and, and in effect, what James is saying is the mouth ha produces a lot of garbage, a lot of fiery garbage. One commentator says on October 8th, 1871, at about 8.30 in the evening, a lantern in Miss O'Leary's barn, presumably kicked over by her cow, ignited what is now known as the Great Chicago Fire. Before that fire could be contained, it started out small from a, from a cow's hoof. It burned 17, over 17,000 buildings and over 300 people died and 125,000 people were left homeless. All of this to be said that, the, that the, the tongue can destroy mightily. It can destroy greatly. In fact, in Scripture, it says all of these different things about the tongue. It's described as wicked, deceitful, perverse, filthy, corrupt, flattering, slanderous, gossiping, blasphemous, bl blasphemous foolish, boasting, complaining, cursing, contentious, sensual, and vile. And just so you know, that list isn't an exhaustive list. All of these things are within Scripture. Let me just ask the question, have you ever been guilty of any of these? Has your mouth ever moved in that direction? Romans chapter 3, verse 13 says of those of unbelief, those who, who don't know Christ, that their, their natural bend is this. Listen carefully here. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom, the venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Verse 9, James adds to what Romans says, which is really, literally telling us that the, that the tongue has the power to bless or to curse. 
It has the literal power to either bless people or to curse people, to bless God or to curse God. And again, it adds to this that all of this accumulates that the tongue has the ability to guide all of your life. Here's the ultimate power of the tongue. Much of your success or lack of success as a human being can be tied to your mouth. Do you know the average person spends one-fifth of their life with their mouth open? That's the average person. We all know some who are two-fifths or third-fifths. The reality is, this is how the, the Bible is saying that the tongue has an enormous amount of power. You have the ability to be successful or not successful just based on what you say, just on what comes out of your mouth alone. Whether you make a lot of money or a little money, who you marry, who you don't marry, a lot of, a lot of it comes from what you say. And words have power. The Bible even teaches an effect that it's one thing to think about something, it's another thing to actually speak it. And once you speak it, you are giving power to that particular word. So for instance, it's one thing, it's one thing to think in your mind, I'm dumb. There's a particular kind of power that that has that is destructive to yourself, but it's not nearly as powerful as when you actually put it out there in, into, into its sound wave. And you say it out loud to yourself or to somebody else. I'm dumb. You've now given that word more power because you've allowed it to come out of your mouth. This has, this has great potential for us in realizing what we say to ourselves, as we'll talk about here in a moment, how it impacts us, and what we say to other people, and what we say to God, and what we say about God, and how it shapes and molds who we are as human beings. You know, entire movements, entire movements are created by just mere words. Anybody, anybody who has studied the move of Germany and when Hitler came into power, Hitler was an amazing order. He could speak well. He moved hearts. And now in our society... Not only do we have to worry about what we say verbally from our mouth, in our society we have to realize we're constantly texting, constantly tweeting, and constantly putting words out for everyone to see that lasts forever. You'll see people losing their jobs because of something they tweeted 10 years ago. Which is amazing when you think of, for those of us who have teenagers, what that's going to look like for them when they go to apply for a job at 30 years old. And somebody goes and looks back at what they said at 16. All of that to be said, it's one thing to say it out loud to a spouse and to try to take it back and hope that time takes it away. It's another thing to actually then have those words on a piece of paper, digitally in a cloud that anybody can access at any time. Words have an amazing amount of power. So James starts this out by letting us know, because words have such power, with verse 1. The first instruction that we're given because of the power of words is that not many of us should do what I am doing. It's a tremendous encouragement for me. I have learned over the years when it says that many should not be teachers because you'll incur a stricter judgment. It doesn't mean just from God. There is something that I will be held accountable to in heaven, but I've also learned really the, the, the judgment I feel the most right now is from the church itself. I am held accountable to everything I say. And some people take things out of context. Some people heard something I didn't mean to say. And sometimes I say things I shouldn't have said. 
let me just share with you the heaviness of this for a moment. John MacArthur says this about preaching. He says, I don't rush into the pulpit with any sort of personal exhilaration or joy. There's always a certain reluctance in my heart. Not a reluctance to fulfill my calling, but a reluctance based on the great weight of responsibility to handle accurately and proclaim the truth of God. He says, in essence, this isn't necessarily fun for me. John Knox, the Scottish reformer, was so awed and burdened by the responsibility to declare God's word faithfully that before his very first sermon, he wept uncontrollably, and he had to be escorted from his pulpit until he could compose himself. Another pastor says this in regards to preaching. There is no special honor in preaching. There is only special pain. The pulpit calls those anointed to it as the sea calls its sailors. And like the sea, it batters and bruises and does not rest. To preach, to really preach, is to die naked a little bit at a time and to know each time you do it that you must do it again. I've always been taken back when someone says, I absolutely love preaching. It isn't something that I absolutely love. I do it because I feel God's called me to do it. But I, this, this, this quote here, this quote is the one that, that has, has impacted me the most over the last several months in regards to just, wow, this is for me. This describes what it's like to preach. It is like to stand up here naked before you and then to know that I get to do it all over again next week. And, and the, the, this is just important to state because in the church, you'll occasionally have people who say, I want to be a pastor. I want to be a preacher. In fact, I was at a, at a conference um, that I spoke at in uh, the Santa Rosa area, and we did a, a Q&A time with all the pastors. And one pastor said, I've got a young man in the church, and we did this uh, open forum where the pastors, like four pastors, got to, you know, answer questions and stuff. And, and uh, this, this older man said, I've got a kid in my church. He's 18 years old. He wants to be a preacher. He wants to be a pastor. What would you tell him? And all these other guys gave these, like, really encouraging remarks. You know, tell him to study his Bible and tell him to keep going and tell him to, you know, all these things. And then they got to me, and I was like, tell him don't. <laughs> and he, the guy came up to me, and he said, your answer actually was probably the most correct answer that I've ever heard. And it's because, it's because there is an a, a, a exposing of oneself. Now, let me be clear on this. It's important to share just for a few moments that that this doesn't mean that you shouldn't be a teacher. It doesn't mean that you should shirk your calling as a teacher, but it does mean that if you desire to teach and preach, don't look at it as just some kind of fun, whimsical, I get to be up front, I get to be popular kind of thing. Whenever somebody says to me, I really want to teach and preach, a red flag goes up for me because they don't understand. Like I, I don't, I'm not running around going, I really need to preach and teach. It's just a, it's just a calling upon my life that I feel God has called me to do, where in essence he has said, listen, there's a pain to this, but you won't be happy doing anything else either. So, so I've called you to this as a good vessel to do this particular ministry, but know it's going to be difficult and hard, but at the same time, you've got to do it. And to do it is to be disobedient. And then that's when depression and all that other stuff kind of comes into place. And with that said, there's a particular calling am amongst every single member in the church. It's not just for pastors. And the, this, this so you know you can take the context of this and you can broaden it out into the entire church. All of you have been called by God to be preaching and teaching God's word to the best of your ability, to the best of your knowledge. 
You are called to make disciples. Matthew 28 is to everyone within the church. You are supposed to be teaching and preaching and equipping people to do the work of the ministry, not just the pastor. So even though there's a particular judgment that I or Wayne has that you shouldn't necessarily want, this doesn't mean that you get to say, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna share, I'm not gonna teach because I don't wanna be judged. Then you're going to then be judged for being silent because the gospel the gospel is a proclaimed thing, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? You actually have to use your mouth to share with people that God desires a relationship with people who are, who are far from him. One of the things I think the church is by and large as a whole doesn't do a good job of is letting sinners know who are broken, shattered, and bruised that Jesus wants you here. He doesn't want you somewhere else. If you're hurting this is the place for you. If you feel like you don't fit in, this is the place for you. Are you with me? It's those who feel like they fit in I start to get worried about because then they get careless with their words. Then they start to become judgmental and they start to look at people in the church and say things that are more damaging than that are healthy. And so it's our job as a whole to be sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with people. Words have power. So it's not just me, it's you. I have more judgment than you do, but you still will have a particular judgment. Words obviously have power, verse 9, to hurt people or to help people. James is actually speaking out of the Eighth Commandment. What is the Eighth Commandment? Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. Matthew 5, 21. Again, remember James is pulling from the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hellfire. So we have, we have a particular responsibility with our words to not hurt or damage people. Have you ever heard the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words will never hurt me? The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible, in essence, is that words can actually destroy your soul. All of you have, have probably a memory that has shaped you from childhood of someone saying something to you or about you that, you, that still sticks with you. Anybody? Images of, well, you're, you're overweight or you're not smart enough. or I, mean, I, I, ha, I still remember teachers in grade school telling me that I was not at the same intellectual level as the other kids in class. So I remember I was, I was in the first grade, and I was finally making friends within the first grade, and the teacher said, Jesse's, Jesse's behind. All he wants to do is play, so we're going to hold him back. So I got held back one whole grade, which allowed me to be better in my senior year of football, so it all traded off. Um, <clears throat> But at the time, it molded and shaped what I thought. And, and, and speaking of that, I had, I had the opportunity for all of these guys when I went through high school and played f- uh, football with these guys um, last week. I didn't preach last week, and it's because they, they asked me to, to do the memorial service for, for my buddy's father who passed away. I had the opportunity last week to go to Reno, Nevada and share with my mouth the message of God's grace with all of the dudes I played high school football with who, who don't know Jesus. And those are opportunities that allow us to speak 
to speak power to help people and not to hurt people. I came across this, uh, this passage from an Atlanta journal in 1983 in one of the commentaries I was using this week. And in, in the Atlanta journal in 1983, the, the sports writer of this particular article wrote this. I am more deadly than the screaming shell from the howitzer. I win without killing. I tear down homes, break hearts, and wreck lives. I travel on the wings of the wind. No innocence is strong enough to intimidate me. No purity pure enough to daunt me. I have no regard for truth, no respect for justice, no mercy for the defenseless. My victims are as numerous as the sands of the sea and often as innocent. I never forget and seldom forgive. My name is Gossip. Now we can either speak things into people's lives that are helpful or hurtful. And again, our words have powers. Take for a moment, for those of you who are married, would you stood before the altar, before a pastor, and you literally spoke these words, I do. It carries weight. And what you're doing, especially on your wedding day, is you're putting your desire into words. I do. I've never stood at an altar and had someone share with me that they were hoping their marriage would end in ruin. Nobody, at least in our church, by and large, sits down for counseling, hours of it, and says, we're doing all of this in hopes that our marriage will end. They don't do that. In their heart at the time, they're putting something into words. Proverbs 12, 18 says, there's one who's rash, whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. All that to be said, point being made here, your words have the ability to either help people or to hurt them. In addition to that, your words, according to Scripture, have the ability to either worship God in the right way or to say something evil of God, to either hurt God or to empower who God is. I watched a video this week. It was too long to show in the service. I wanted to, but as I stated, it was too long. And uh, in the video, the whole video goes for several minutes of a husband getting out of bed. And as he gets out of bed, he hits his alarm clock, and it doesn't say what he's saying, but you can tell he says something kind of mean to his wife, and then they, they, they are getting ready, and they're, they're putting their clothes on, and the husband's saying something to the wife again about how she's being slow, and the wife's bickering back, and then, and then the husband... We then in the scene realize he's a dad and he's yelling at his kids to get out of bed and, and then they're getting in the car and they're yelling at each other and they're bickering and they're fighting and, and, and they're, just, they're just at each other with words and they pull into a parking lot and they get out of the car and they walk up the stairs to a church and they smile and they shake hands and then the ending scene is them singing, how great thou art. Now, how, how many of you had that this morning? You, you see what I'm saying? James is saying that there's this impossibility with, with, with that in, in one side of our neck, we're yelling at people and we're bickering with people and, and we're trying, like if you, if, like for me, with a family of six, getting anywhere is a, is a task. It's a chore, okay? It takes us 30 minutes to get for the six feet from our door to the car. And I'm not exaggerating. You think it's funny. I'm actually sharing. I need counseling. It's difficult. <laughs> And by the time you finally get on the road and you try to change your attitude so you can have a good time at the beach or the church or whatever, you realize the great hypocrisy of it, right? 
And all of this to be said, you, you can either be using your words to worship God or to be tearing people down who are in the image of God. And as it says here, in addition to all of this, right, the power to either, words have the power to help people or hurt people. Words have the power to either worship God or hurt God. And words ultimately have the power to help us or to hurt us. This is damaging of yourself as well. Tim Keller says, when you misuse the tongue, you abuse yourself. The tongue has tremendous power over you. What does that mean? How could that be? If you use the tongue abusively, you dehumanize yourself. Or as one author says, a fool's tongue is long enough to cut his own throat. See, the reality of this, we've shared it before, and it it needs to be shared again. What you say to yourself matters. Because what you say to yourself and about yourself will mold how you view yourself, and how you view yourself is a projection to others, and then they will view you that way. Now all of a sudden you're making something that wasn't real, real. Again, to quote Paul Tripp, I've quoted him before in this, no one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. He goes on to say it's important when you do this that you don't do it out loud because people think you're crazy. He, he says this then, there's another preacher that you listen to more often. Remember I said everyone's a teacher? Tripp goes further, he says, there's a preacher in your life that's preaching to you all the time. And in case you haven't figured it out, that preacher is you. And you are always preaching some kind of gospel to yourself. He goes on in that quote to say, it's either a gospel of good news that liberates you in the freedom of Christ, or it's a false gospel of good works or producing some kind of ill intent in you. But what you say about yourself will impact how you feel, and how you feel will impact how you live out your life. It's a circle. All this to be said, I hope you're seeing that it's very important. What you say to yourself and about yourself is deeply important. To quote someone of older generation, not just Tripp, Lloyd-Jones adds to this. He says this, The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why, out thar, why, why art thou cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and, t- and say to yourself, hope thou in God, instead of muttering in this dis- depressed, unhappy way. He goes on, and then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is and what God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to. Then having done that, end on this great note. Deny yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, who is also health of my countenance and my God. This is a book that that he wrote on depression. What he's saying is, and in essence, you can lift yourself out of your own depression by simply preaching the goodness of God to you. Do you get up in the morning and say to yourself, God is good? Do you say to yourself, God is good to me? Do you go through a list in your mind of sharing how great 
God has been, God has been good to you. Sometimes I have to wake up in the morning and just realize and remember, man, I've got a, I've got a beautiful wife. She loves Jesus. I have four beautiful children. That, that Yeah, they're, they're difficult, but they also bring a great amount of joy and laughter into our home. God has given us, by his grace, a church that so far has been dedicated to growing and reaching into the community and teaching God's word. Do you say to yourself, God has been gracious to me that I even have clothing to wear? Or do you mutter to yourself, I wish I had more of this, I wish I had more of that. If I, if I just had more of, of this thing, if I, if I had a different job, if I had a different location, if I had a different spouse, if I could just get my kids to act a little differently, if I could control my situation a little more. Is anyone guilty of these things? And if you're anything like me, and if you're anything like James, you're humbly admitting that this is an impossible task. This is a battle that is an ongoing thing for a Christian. You are constantly, by and large, most likely, if you are part of the human race, preaching an anti-gospel to yourself that is harming you and harming other people. Our words should be seasoned with great grace and great gratitude, the two Gs. You, you know, when, you're, when you want to say something that tears people down, don't. What's the saying if you don't have anything nice to say? Don't say anything at all. Well, you might find yourself not talking so much. <laughs> There's hope. My last point. The hope is that there is power to tame the tongue. You and I, just so you know, there's grace in the passage. You and I will never be perfect in this. But here, here is some of the solutions. Point one. Look at verse 13. He who is wise and understanding among you, by his good conduct, let him show his, his works and meekness of wisdom. In essence, he's saying, he, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, if you're wise, talk more. If you're wise, do good works. He's now back to good works. Here's the first point. The first point is stop talking. The first point is to not, and it doesn't mean you don't proclaim the gospel. It doesn't mean that you don't use words. But it does mean that by and large, within humanity, we are not good with our words and we speak more than we should. Again, I want to quote Martin Lloyd-Jones. You should be, he's talking about being encountered by the gospel, you should be rendered speechless. Listen to this next line. You are not a Christian unless you have been made speechless. How do you know whether you are a Christian or not? It is that you stop talking. The trouble with non-Christians is that he goes on talking. How do you know whether a man is a Christian? The answer is that his mouth is shut. I like this fortrightness in the gospel, he says. People need to have their mouths shut, stopped. You do not begin to be a Christian until your mouth is shut, is stopped, and you are speechless and have nothing to say. You know what he's saying is, is he's saying that, that you, when you become a Christian, you are, encountering, you are encountering, encountering a beautiful, holy, righteous God. And when you stand in the presence of God, there is nothing to be said. Do you know what I'm saying? What are you going to say to him that he doesn't know? What are you going to convince him of? 
well, God, I think we, uh, you know, we, should, we should have been doing ministry in Truckee like, more like this. We should be doing more of this, God. We should be doing more of this. No, you, you stand in the presence of God. You realize he's sovereign and control over all. And then he probably just, he's, he doesn't even have to speak to you. You can just, have you, ever, have you ever had those moments with God where like, you, you know he's like speaking to you, but there are no audible words and he's just convincing you and convicting you that man, you know what? You're so worried about fringe stuff. Just shut your mouth and sit in my presence. You're so worried about all of these little things. You're a little busybody. That's what you are. And you're gossiping and you're, you're saying everyone should improve and you're saying everyone should do it differently. Just shut up. Just worship me. You know, the church needs less people speaking. That's why there's only one preacher on a Sunday. It needs less people speaking and more people just simply sitting in the presence of God and being thankful during the presence of God. And the way you become thankful, again, is to understand that no matter how broken you are, no matter what kind of mistakes you've, been, you, you've made in the past, no matter what you're going through now, God wants you in his presence. Like, I wish, I wish I had the ability and power, which I don't, only the Spirit does, to help you understand what a beautiful thing it is that God wants to spend time with you. Because there are a lot of people who don't want to spend time with you. Do you know that? Sometimes you're not that fun to hang around. And I'm speaking about myself, like, you know. But God wants to be around me. He wants to be around you. And so he says, if you're wise, show by your good conduct. Now, there's a little bit of frustration in me that might come out in this because, because I do hear, I hear constantly people's opinions on how they think we should do church. And I get frustrated because most of the time, people who share their opinion on how we should do church aren't doing anything. Where's your good conduct? Like, if, if you're not actually serving God's people, and if you're not actually loving God's people, you have no place to share your opinion. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some of you may disagree with me, and that's okay, until it isn't. But the point in this is that, that your, your weight, your validity, and your words matter when you are a true servant of Jesus Christ. So when I say to somebody, and I go, listen, man, I believe God can lift you out of your depression. I've lived through that. Listen, man, God can use you in an environment where there's a lot of non-Christians. You know how I know that? Because I've done it. I did it last Sunday. I hung out with a bunch of people who don't know Jesus, got to share the gospel of Jesus with those individuals, and they were thankful for it. So I've done it. So that allows me more credibility in sharing. And, and in the church, as we are trying to grow within the book of James, the encouragement is do more for Jesus and do less with your mouth. That's point one. You tame the tongue by serving God with your good works and not opening your mouth. Number two, boast in Christ alone. Don't boast in yourself because you can't. You can't boast in yourself. Salvation is not from you. No one in this room who's a Christian earned their salvation. If you're new to the church and, you, and you're new to Jesus Christ, just know that nobody in here got into a relationship with Jesus Christ because of anything that they did. So if somehow you walk into the room and you feel like people are better than you, let me as the preacher just be very real with everyone in the room. Nobody is better than anybody in this room. Nobody, including myself and including Wayne, who's been here the longest outside of Mavis. 
and Irma. Like, no one, no one is better than anybody. In fact, one of, one of the great markers of a church is a diverse crowd of people who, who hang out with people who are not like them because that's the way that we understand and realize, oh my goodness, this is truly about God and not about everybody else. That's why I deeply appreciate the fact that our church has both, both young families and many of those who are more mature in their faith. I worded that nicely, didn't I? So there's no, and there's a beauty in that. We're partnering together. Some of you old people just put up with me, and I appreciate that. I, I do. So, so don't, don't boast, but, but boast in Christ alone. What I mean by this is you have to shush your mouth. That's the first point. But the second point is when you do speak, you've got to get good vocabulary. You have to get the kind of vocabulary that is necessary that blesses people and blesses God. How do you do that? The first thing you do is you have to receive God's speech into your own heart. Now we get to the gospel. God's words to yourself. You need God's words to you. And the only way to get it is to read the Bible. You have to hear what God has to say about you, and you have to hear about how God speaks, how God prays, so you can get a good vocabulary. Now, you may not have noticed it, but James, on 18 different occasions, from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 5, is an, a, a statement on, on the tongue. So the tongue isn't just central to James in chapter 3. It's, he mentions it in chapter 1. He mentions it in chapter 2. He mentions it in chapter 4. And he, he mentions it in chapter 5 as well. All of this to be said, he is trying to, to build a foundation of us understanding, again, the importance and the power that the, the mouth has. But because he's sharing scripture with us, he's letting us know that you and I need to get the right kind of vocabulary. One of the markers of a good elder we have elders in our church that help guide and lead and teach and take care of as the shepherd takes care of the flock. One of the great markers is the ability to teach. And what that means isn't just that they can do what I'm doing. It means they have the ability to take Scripture and apply it to everyday life and everyday things. That's wisdom. James is the wisdom literature of the New Testament. All of us need to grow in this ability that whenever we come across any kind of situation, we have to use the Bible to help us understand what to do. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some of you are like, I do kind of, and that's okay. And some of you are like, I totally get it, and that's great. And some of you are like, I totally, totally get it. If you're somebody who totally, totally gets it, your job is to help somebody who doesn't get it, get it. By showing the beauty of how to actually live this life that we call Christianity, and it's so much more than just Christianity. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a walk with Jesus Christ. And he's showing us that we have the ability, as teachers, as Swites mentioned in the first part, as teachers, we have the ability to guide and direct and help people to success or guide them and, and lead them to a place of destruction. Words shape and mold everything. So as you leave here this morning and as we partake in communion, we have, to, we have to really ask God for some wisdom and discernment and, and giving us the right kind of words and vocabulary and what to say to God, what to say to ourselves, and what to say to other people. What you say about yourself matters. If you want to know the kind of vocabulary that leads to true liberty, you've got to start reading your Bible. So Rebecca Schroeder's teaching a, 
a women's study to a bunch of 20-some gals. And she asked me, she said, when she, she started, she said, what book do you think I, you, I should start teaching? And I said, you should go into the book of Mark. Because some of these gals are just now learning, learning the gospel, learning some of these new fresh things. And the book of Mark is going to help move them in a little bit more of a simplistic way. It's one of the more simple gospels to understand how they should think of themselves and how they should think of the church and how Jesus thinks of them. Do you understand what I'm saying? We need a greater vocabulary of God's love for us so that God's vocabulary of love for us then trickles out into everything that we do. So I want to end, end with this last statement, okay? Um, I want to personally ask you for forgiveness for the ways over the last year or however long, whenever I've stood before you as a church, where I've used words in a way that weren't as healthy as they should have been. And I say that because I have walked away from this pulpit and felt like, man, Lord, I could have done a better job. Lord, I, I, I said that too harsh. A few weeks ago when we were talking about um, the rich and the poor, I felt like there was vocabulary in there. I could have done a better job with it. And so I just, I just want to admit to you, like James, <laughs> man, please practice grace with me. I'll practice grace with you, but I need your grace, and I don't want to take advantage of your grace. Know that as, as your lead guy who's teaching and preaching, I do take what I do very seriously, and I want to continue to grow in bolstering my vocabulary to be more gospel-centered and more biblically-centered and not filled with any kind of frustration or rash words. That's going to take time. You know that? So some of you are going to be here for 20 years, and my guess is you'll say, man, you are a different preacher. And I'll say, praise God for that. Some of you have said it over the last year. Man, you're so much better than you were a year ago. And I'm like, oh, well. <laughs> there's that stricter judgment right there. The, don't know what to say to that sometimes. Well, I, do a, I get reviewed once a year, and one of the elders said to me, they said, you know, some weeks you just don't seem as prepared as other weeks. And I said, well, what weeks are those? Because I'm preparing every week. I don't know what it was. But um, with that said, I want to invite the uh, elders uh, and, and those I've asked to come serve communion and the worship team to come up. And, um, and we'll partake together. I want to, um, I know I change this every, every now and then. Uh, and so for those of you who are handing this out, I want to, Brad, if you can just kind of strum. I want you, uh, play or whatever it is you want to do. If... Uh, <laughs> Whatever you worship guys do. See, there, there's, there I am messing up my words. Um, I, I, I want the, the guys, and there's a reason to this. I don't, I don't just do things randomly because I think it feels good, but I do it because of a, of a, a sense of conviction and flow. And, and I want you to have some time to, to pray um, and to meditate on God and and some of you, you may not have the vocabulary yet. You may be thinking, what do, I, what do I even say? Well, you just pray. Pray that you would understand God's great view of, of you and that, that God's words would become your words for yourself and other people. And so with that said, as Brad plays, I want my, my guys up front here, I want you to hand out um, the bread first and then the juice. I want you guys to, to have it together. And there's been concern over uh, when we've done this as far as um, – you know, your ability to hold the juice and the bread at the same time, I think, I think you can do it. 
So I believe in you. And, um, but I want you to take time to make it a holy moment. And, and sometimes breaking it up makes me feel like I'm interrupting something, and I don't want to interrupt something. Uh, and so the guys will hand it to you. Don't partake yet. And then once all the elements are handed out, I'll come up and, and we'll pray and we'll partake together as a family. Go ahead, guys. up from the ashes God forever you reign and my soul will find refuge in the shadow of your wings I will love you forever and forever I'll sing when the world caves in still my hope will cling to your promise my courage ends let my heart find strength in your presence and I walk through the fire with my head lifted high and my spirit revived in your story and I look to the cross as my failure is lost in the light of your glorious grace so let the ruins come to life in the beauty of your name rising up from the ashes god forever you reign and my soul will find refuge in the shadow of your wings I will love you forever and forever I sing 
comes alive in the beauty of your name rising up from the ashes God forever you reign and my soul will find refuge in the shadow of your wings I will love you forever and forever I sing this morning you feel encouraged that that there's hope for God's words to you to empower you to understand that, that God sees you unlike anybody else. Totally knows you. Totally loves you anyway. He knows your dark secrets. He knows your sins. He knows your battles. He knows your scars. He knows your pain. And he says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden. Come to me, those of you who are burdened. This is a place for you. And one of the the difficulties in part of preaching through James, as Martin Luther also expressed, is that he felt he felt like, man, like, like where's the grace in this book? He struggled with that. Because you can read it and think, oh man, I'm so far from, from perfection and I've got so far to go. And the good news to that is that's okay too. Jesus says, come as you are. He encounters a prostitute. He, he tells her, go and sin no more. Do you think she just all of a sudden became a perfect person? There's no way. It's just not possible. And all of us are on a process of growth. And so Jesus wants you just as you are. He wants a relationship with you just the way that you are. And then as time gr- goes on, he is going to grow you. But he's never going to give you more than you can take at one time. He's, he's gentle and he's kind in how he leads us in growth. And so there's this, this difficulty that we're wrestling through in this book. So be, be willing to be patient in the process that God has you on. And then so Jesus shares with us as we close this great promise, the promise that he would go to the cross as he shares at the Last Supper, that he would go to the cross and that he would die. He would do the work that is necessary for salvation and to be in a reconciled relationship with God. He did all of the hard work. So, so again, James says, don't let anyone boast. Because none of you went to a cross, none of you died for anyone else's sins, none of you took on the pain of the world, Jesus did all of that, and then he was buried in a grave, and he, he came back from that death to give us new hope and new life, to show us that there is true resurrection from the dead for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And he gave us a marker that we would be remembered of that, his innocent blood shed for us, and his body pierced and broken for us. So he says, for those of us in faith, we partake in this communion to understand that we are in communion with him. We are in relationship with him and that he is present in our lives. So Lord, we thank you for, for this promise that you've given us. We thank you that the juice and the bread help us to have a, a picture, a metaphor, Lord, of sitting down at the dinner table with you, celebrating over good food and, and good fellowship and community, that you're with us at all times and that you desire to, to be within us at all times, that we would know you and you would know us, and there'd be just this deep, beautiful, intimate relationship. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You may partake. His body broken for us. Everyone say amen. Amen. God bless Friends, you. Friends, will you stand with us, and let's uh, close in a song as we leave here.